Thank you for listening to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast with today's wound clinic. I'm Brian McCurdy, the managing editor of TWC. Today I'm talking to Wes Irvin. He has undergone more than 60 surgeries and described himself as an evolving survivor, having survived flesh-eating bacteria, septic episodes, and pulmonary embolisms. Today he'll take a look at his experience as a patient, explaining how hyperbaric oxygen therapy helped him, and take a look at the importance of integrative care. So welcome, Wes. Thank you, Brian. Uh, thanks for all you do in getting uh, the good word out about wound care. It's such a critical uh, part of the healing process for millions of Americans, and I don't think folks fully understand all that goes into it physically or emotionally. Right, yeah. Uh, now, you call yourself an evolving survivor. Can you just explain to us what that means and what your experience is? Absolutely. So it took me a bit to kind of figure out how I was going to reintroduce myself. And I actually, with an open letter uh, that I wrote on the front end of first talking publicly about my journey, I decided Evolving Survivor kind of fit it because I'm a decade into what has been, by all account, a uh, amazing and horrific medical journey. Um, I think I refer myself to evolving because I'm obviously still getting medical care, both physically and mentally. Uh, yet I'm living, I'm, I'm re-emerging and have redeveloped physically and emotionally in many ways. I'm more accepting of my new self, you know, the limitations, uh, whether it be due to the surgeries or the uh, dysmotility or just the pain management, the, the challenges, the scarring that covers a majority of my body now and kind of my emotional well-being I'm more attuned to and more mindful about a lot more uh, and I'm continuing to advance a bit right I'm, I'm turning the corner in the real sense of the words albeit with some ongoing challenges and um, I just feel like I've not only evolved as a human being but yet also as a, uh, a, a patient uh, and a survivor as well it's it's an ongoing process after what's been a decade of trauma. Okay, um, now can you explain what type of care you received and what you were kind of missing from the healthcare system when you underwent all your care? Absolutely, so in 2012, I was uh, emergently taken in for what was a Michael's diverticulum. It's rare in and of itself as you're cogenitally born with it, yet it doesn't manifest typically. It, 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 Kind of, I tell folks it resembles an appendix a bit, the way it presents and then could rupture and cause a lot of problems. So that was successfully removed. And then a week later, we found that I had started rotting from the inside out with a very aggressive uh, flesh eating bacteria. Uh, I was then rushed to shock trauma, uh, by far one of the best trauma centers in our nation in the world. I still love them and I'm grateful for them. Uh, because of their multiple debridements of me, of all eight layers of my abdominal wall through the peritoneum. And the beauty and just healing ability of hyperbaric medicine, I'm, I'm here today. I'm alive uh, because those multiple trips to what was a multi-patient hyperbaric tank in Baltimore um, that saved me multiple times over the years, specifically twice. So I've probably been in a hyperbaric tank emergently nearly a hundred times. And I've probably done it since then uh, due to a very odd path 
back to hyperbaric medicine for both wound healing and also uh, emotional healing with my PTSD. I do think it's important to mention, thankfully I had no underlying issues. Unfortunately, this was failed medicine, right? It was, uh, it was overlooked and it could have been dealt with on the front end. I often use the old adage, take care of things on the front end and the back end will take care of itself. In my case, I'm still dealing with the back end and the front end a decade later. So for me, I really, Brian, had to gain a new trust for failed medicine, right? And it's been hard because I've had multiple PTSDs in hospitals of which I'm very embarrassed about because I love the folks who have cared for me over the years. They've been of all walks and stations of life and I continue to keep them in my thoughts during this horrific time with the, the COVID crisis of which I can relate in many ways due to my own personal journey and my heart's been with the country during this time. Um, so it's just been, it's been a lot, right? It's been a lot physically and, and emotionally, yet I'm still living and I'm still evolving. And if you don't, we know with anything, if you don't evolve and you don't accept and adapt to change, I, I do intermittent fasting. I am on a stringent physical therapy plan due to all the atrophy of a decade. And I do a lot of other work on myself and it's an ongoing project. Uh, I call myself the the mess the, the West mess. <laughs> okay. Um, now, sixty surgeries in ten years is a lot. Um, so, can you tell us what that, how that would affect a patient's mental state? Absolutely. And I got to be honest, Brian, I'm still learning about that, right? And I think they are too. It's been an odd case, and it's why shock trauma eventually said you got to go to Mayo or Cleveland because if you want somewhat of an active life, the skin grafts aren't going to last. You're young, you're otherwise healthy. You have no comorbidity issues. You probably need to seek a long-term solution. I knew by doing that, Brian, it was going to be tough, right? Unfortunately, we have found I have, the septic episodes have been very uh, alarming to all of my caregivers because it's almost as if I have what's called a traumatic septic response now. They've never been able to find yet for the first episode with the flesh chaining bacteria, they were able to pinpoint that, yet they weren't able to fully understand why I would go septic after a lot of major surgeries. And we found my body kept score, right? It's a great book that's been written, The Body Keeps Score. And we found that physically and emotionally, my body had never forgotten the originating event and I would be thrown into these really odd septic episodes where I would get deathly ill. So the surgeries were a lot. Think about the, the anesthesia. I've had surgeries that have been up to 30 hours where my surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, God bless him, Dr. Rafi and Dr. Rosen, they worked around the clock just to save me and give me a better quality of life. So I think looking back on it, there was a lot of sacrifice on the front end that's probably going to serve me well on the back end of my life. Um, I certainly live with the realization that was a great lack of communication about my care on the front end. And as I went to two of the world renowned hospitals in both Mayo and the Cleveland Clinic, here's what I found. They over communicate, Brian. It is so amazing to watch the way they pass a patient off whether from doctor to doctor or nurse to nurse. There is a communication process 
granted, I was septic in, in a psychosis, ICU psychosis stage many times. And I remember the great detail that went into passing the patient off. Even before going under a surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, they have what's called the Cleveland Huddle. And they go over the entire surgery with you and they ask you to actually go over it first and then they back up what they're doing and they further explain the procedure before they put you to sleep. What a simple fix for what has become a very dysfunctional system. And look, I have all the respect for science and medicine. I personally believe in it. I would not be here without it. There were things the Cleveland Clinic did to me that they, that wasn't even approved by insurance and we had to get approved after we got massive bills because they were having to experiment with me. I get science and I get medicine, yet I don't get how we've evolved with technology and we've evolved with drug therapies and we've evolved with all of these imaging type of equipment we're working with and blood thinners, my goodness, the list goes on and on. Yet the patient care continues to be so robotic. We continue to just move patients through hospitals like we're repairing cars. There's more to it than that, Brian. There has to be a continuity of care that goes with our patients in this country. I have found it's almost cost me my family and a lot of close relationships because I wasn't willing to acknowledge the emotional toll this journey has taken on me. And I am so thankful that it wasn't just faith in a spiritual sense, it was finally faith in a bunch of new modalities and faith in accepting what had happened to me and faith in having to take it front on and unpackage it and deal with it. Okay. Well, um, I also wanted to ask you, can you talk about how integrated medicine helped you? For, for sure. I was really unaware of it, right? I knew a little bit about acupuncture. I did successfully use acupuncture for my pain management over the past decade. And before I get into my road to many modalities, I would just say I was thankfully able to avoid opioid addiction. And yet, sadly, sadly, uh, nearly 800,000 Americans have not, and they've, they've passed over the last two decades. I was hyper allergic from the minute they took me into shock trauma to Oxycontin and Oxycodone. It almost killed me, thankfully. I depended on Dilaudid when I had to to use a painkiller. And um, I successfully used it. We all know hydromorphone is not quite as synthetic as that of the oxys and some of these other fentanyls and things out there on the, on the market and used repeatedly still. So I really, really wanted to not become addicted to Dilaudid. And I knew how it made me feel, both the feeling of the IV rushing through my veins when I would need it emergently and the feeling the pills give you. And, and, and I can relate. There is no greater feeling than getting pain relief from a, a dose of Dilaudid. It gives you peace. It allows your body to heal and rest. Yet you can't stay there. It's for a moment in time. And I, I found acupuncture first because I found that acupuncture was giving me some physical and mental relief. However, it was only really through an inpatient program at Sierra Tucson out in Arizona that saved my life and my marriage and my family uh, that I really was introduced to body work. And I'm not talking just body massage or acupuncture, which I think are the most well-known out there. I'm talking about um, craniosacral therapy with somatic e experiencing. I'm talking about Reiki. I'm talking about um, 
lymph drainage. I'm talking about so many things, Brian, that makes so much sense and has changed my life so drastically. Yet, yet, we tell folks, you got to get off opioids. A bottle of opioids subsidized by a private or public insurance policy, a buck 60 out of pocket. A modality over here that I've just talked about, $150 out of pocket. And if you're lucky, if you have an insurance plan that wants to be in the business of doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is providing insurance to human beings in this country, you might get $50 of that 140 back if you take the time to go through the process, which is very complicated because you need diagnosis codes, process codes, uh, all these codes. My wife and I take the time to do it. However, folks don't have time to do all that stuff. There is an accessibility and affordability and an availability problem when it comes to a bunch of modalities that could heal America from this opioid crisis. And I gotta say, when I do craniosacral, it is so critical to my emotional well-being, and I immediately feel the benefit of it. And you know, the, the Dr. Uh, Upledger, I think at the University of Michigan, he was the one who ironically and surprisingly discovered the craniosacral system over the surgery he was doing on a dear friend and patient that he assisted with. So it's really kind of charged me in a good way a bit, and I have PTSD, so I can be charged in both ways. I'm gonna to be totally honest and vulnerable because otherwise I would be doing a disservice to myself and those listening. And, you know, I just, I've taken the time to have the faith that you got to try a lot of different things. There's a pain management and an emotional wellness toolbox out there for every American. Again, it's unaffordable, inaccessible, and unavailable. Okay. Um, on that note, can you tell us more about what you're doing in terms of patient advocacy? Absolutely. You know, I, I often talk about a, uh, a friend of 200 years old that I found recently. Um, her name was Fanny Crosby, and she too was a, uh, a patient of failed medicine. In fact, she was blind, blinded as a young child by a doctor who supposedly regretted it his entire life. And yet, when Fanny was told of the doctor's deep regret for what had happened with her case of failed medicine, she said, oh no, he shouldn't be sad. He shouldn't have regret. Yet not for that doctor and his failed medicine, he never would have become, or she never would have become an advocate like she did, she would say. And I feel the same way, Brian. I mean, I really feel like I've seen how hyperbaric oxygen works. I see how these modalities work. And yet I see a vacuum when it comes to advocacy. We know body work, massage in and of itself would save up to millions of dollars to the system, healthcare and economic. Folks would get back to work faster. They would have the pain relief they need. Again, it's expensive. It's not understood. And I finally understand that this all happened to me for a reason. I was a product of the Beltway, right? I was inside Washington for two decades of my life. And then in a matter of moments, I would get sick, deathly ill multiple times for the next decade of my life. And I, I have been forced to live in the system that I probably helped create. And sadly, I look back on that because 
I see a lot more and a lot clearer for having lived outside the system in a real life experience that almost cost me my life and my family. It's already wreaked havoc on my career, yet I found this new purpose, right? I always said, Brian, if one life can just be saved for all I have gone through, then it will all have been worth it. And I'm doing that. I've gotten folks into the Cleveland Clinic. I've, I've been an advocate for, for patients. And now I'm focusing on veterans and their right, their right to pressurize oxygen. They served our country and yet, yet there is a great debate continuing to take place within the hallways of Congress and the FDA, the very hallways, by the way, that created the opioid crisis to begin with, there's two debates taking place. Is it a medical device or is it a drug, oxygen? That's debate number one. Number two is we need more studies. Okay, every time I have a conversation with a member of Congress on either side of the aisle, I say this and I'll say it until my last breath with all due respect, Congressman, where were your studies on opioids? You listened to McKenzie. You listen to Purdue and some other high-powered politicians in this country. You're standing in the way. Washington is standing in the way. And I just had a treatment the other day, Brian, because I had an episode. Look, if I'm going to advocate, I got to be vulnerable. I had an episode. I felt my sympathetic nervous system was misputtering. It was off a bit. I had an inpatient experience lately, unfortunately, at a hospital that saved my life a decade back, and it didn't go well. And it took me back. I'm, I'm trying to focus on the windshield, yet the rearview mirror is there and there's a lot still cluttering it. I try to clear it the best I can. And I knew I needed a treatment. So I talked to the place that's been treating me. I originally went there, Brian, in January of last year because I was pressure sore from multiple binders I have to wear to give me that lack of abdominal wall support. The flaps have already atrophied, obviously, from my legs. So... I went in for a pressure sore and it, it, it healed it. What my wife and I also found was my sympathetic nervous system was actually normalizing a bit and I could feel it, she could see it. However, it got reactivated and I knew I needed something. So I went in, they gave me an hour of 1.5 pressurized because wound healing you would get 3.0 fully pressurized in two hours. However, this is to deal with some emotional uh, healing, right? And just kind of given that deep infusion of oxygen to the brain, because again, nothing heals the brain better than oxygen. It's why breathing is starting to work so well for a lot of folks out there. We're understanding that breathing regulates our nervous system, that oxygen is good for us. Um, Max Stone, I believe he has wrote a great book of a, a life worth breathing and talks about ocean breathing and all the ways we can manage our pain and our sympathetic nervous system. So long story short, I went in, it was $420 to get that treatment. I'm blessed. I can, I can pay it. I will pay it to regulate my emotional well-being. Here's the reality. Washington is standing in the way of millions of veterans who have served our country who have made the greatest sacrifice and big pharma and the FDA and the VA and CMS are all in the way of giving our veterans what they not only so badly want, they rightfully deserve. This is wrong. 
Right, right. And it, it sounds like HBOT has definitely helped you. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And I stumbled upon it, right? I also stumbled upon the bills, which really got me advocating for it and catching up with Dr. Fife and Dr. Gelly and Dr. Denham and some other folks. Um, I found a couple of bills in Congress where they're trying to get this done, yet they languish in committees. We did have some success with a mental health bill for veterans that passed last year that allows for more studies uh, with the private sector, Brian. However, here's, here's the situation. Here's the sad reality. We're losing 22 veterans a day. It's a sadly known statistic in this country. And the time for studies has long passed. Washington owes it to our veterans to give them this modality and emergent therapeutic. It is life-saving, it has changed my life, and I still need it. And let me be clear too, it is not the magic wand. I still do craniosacral therapy. I still do talk therapy. I'm still doing a lot of work to recover from the trauma. I've dehissed. I've seen my innards more than I wanted to, than any human should. And, and I just think that this is something we've gotten wrapped around the axle of the Washington process with, yet I wonder why it is there's different processes though, right? Some seem to be a bit more greased. Some seem to work a bit better. And that's because there's a ton of advocacy and there's a ton of money behind it. And I'll tell you what, backing up to the opioid uh, situation for a second, Brian, the other thing I'm advocating for, and I'm working with state reps here in Maryland, and I'm working a bit nationally on it, I've written about it, None like the tobacco settlement did for patients with cancer and the healthcare industry around cancer and the public awareness campaign about the effects of smoking. The opioid settlement should do the exact same thing for McKinsey and Purdue. We should take that money and do a public awareness campaign about how there are tons of modalities out there that need to be accessible and affordable the emotional wellness and the pain management toolbox exists in America. It's not accessible for Americans. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and you definitely are, as you said, an evolving survivor. I just, um, I just have one more question. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today? I do, because I think there's a lot of emotional, you know, we call it mental health. I think it's antiquated because it's not the right name for it. I think our whole mental health system is antiquated, including what we call it. That's why I loved about Sierra Tucson because it was so holistic and it was so natural and it didn't rely on drugs and a kind of our old school mental health facilities. I would leave folks with this because I believe our veterans and folks of all types of trauma, those who have endured wound vacs, many surgeries and COVID. And might I add, we know hyperbaric medicine works for long haulers of COVID too, and we're working that issue real hard. I'll leave folks with a quote from Rose Kennedy that I carry with me. And this is what she said, and I would agree. It has been said that time heals all wounds. I do not agree. The wounds remain. In time, the mind, protecting its sanity, covers them with scar tissue and the pain lessens, but it is never gone. Okay, that's powerful stuff. Um, well, I just want to thank you today uh, for sharing your story with us, Wes Irvin. 
Um, and I want to thank everybody for listening to Speaking of Wounds with today's Wound Clinic. Until next time.